scripture reading this morning be taken from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. You may be seated. Good morning. It's good to see everybody this morning. Appreciate this time that we've been able to spend in worship together. Looking forward to our VBS this week. I have to say, I don't think I've ever had the opportunity to preach in Candyland, but that was my favorite game growing up. I, I played it all the time. Uh, but thankful for Jacob and thankful for all the work that he's put into our Vacation Bible School this week. This is something that he's been working on since the beginning of the year. And so take some time to encourage him. I know he has the humility to point to everybody else. And there are certainly a lot of volunteers that are going to be involved this week. And we, we thank you for that. We thank you for everything that you're going to do to make our VBS a success. But especially on his birthday, maybe we need to spend some time encouraging him. That's, that's interesting, isn't it? His birthday on the first day of VBS. I, I, I just can't get over that. But we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 3. If you have your Bible and you'd like to turn there. 2 Timothy, the third chapter, and we're going to spend some time looking at verses 16 and 17 as we read in our scripture reading just a few moments ago. 2 Timothy chapter 3, and together we're going to be looking at verses 16 and 17. This morning we're going to continue the series of lessons that we began last week that we've entitled The Forgotten God. These are lessons that center on the Holy Spirit. And how the Holy Spirit is involved in our lives. How the Holy Spirit is active in our lives on a daily basis. We quoted Francis Chan's book last week. His book, The Forgotten God. Where he says, from my perspective, the Holy Spirit is tragically neglected. And for all practical purposes, forgotten. I believe that to be true. So in this series of sermons, let's do the best that we can to reverse our tragic neglect of the Holy Spirit. Let's look at what the scriptures have to say about the Spirit and how He is involved in our lives on a daily, a weekly, and a monthly basis. Let's grow in our appreciation of the Spirit. Let's fall deeper in love with the Spirit as we talk about Him from the pages of God's Word. When we forget about the Spirit, we're not forgetting about some small detail of Christianity. When we forget about the Spirit, we're not forgetting about something that's insignificant or something that's unimportant to our daily lives. When we forget about the Spirit, we're forgetting about God. Because like we said last week, just like the Father is God, just like Jesus the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God. So when we forget about the Holy Spirit, we're forgetting about God. Wouldn't you say that's important? Wouldn't you say that's significant? I want to add another detail to this. That we're, you're, you're going to see this slide a number of times throughout this series. We're going to look at it for the first time right now. When we forget about the Spirit, we're not just forgetting about God, which is first and foremost. That's what's foundational. But when we forget about the Holy Spirit, we forget about all of the amazing things that He has done in the past. And we forget about the amazing things that He's capable of doing in the present. When you forget about the Spirit, you forget about everything that's associated 
with the Spirit of God. Let me give you an example. Let's say that somebody invited you over for dinner one night and you accepted that invitation. Whenever that night finally came, you completely forgot about it. Have you ever been there? If you forget about the dinner, you're going to forget about everything associated with the dinner, everything that's involved with the dinner. If you forget about the dinner, you're going to miss out on a free meal. If you forget about the dinner, you're going to miss out on time with your friends. If you forget about the dinner, you're going to miss out on the conversations that you would have had, the laughs that you would have shared, maybe the movie that you would have watched, the card games that you would have played. If you miss the dinner, you don't just miss the dinner. You miss everything associated with it. And the same is true about the Spirit of God. When we forget about the Holy Spirit, we forget about everything associated with Him. We forget about the amazing things that He's done in the past, and we forget about the amazing things that He's capable of doing in the present. When we forget about the Spirit, we're also forgetting about all of the indescribable blessings that He can bring into our lives. So as we consider that, Let's look at the words of 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. The title of our lesson this morning is Forgotten Inspiration. When we forget about the Spirit, we forget about His vital role and involvement in bringing us the most important book to ever be in existence. And that's the book that I'm holding in my hand. It's the book that many of you are holding in your hands. The Bible. When we forget about the Spirit... We forget about His role in the inspiration of the Scriptures. So let's remind ourselves of that in 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17, as we take these couple of verses word for word and thought for thought. Let's begin with this phrase towards the beginning of verse number 16, that Scripture, the ESV says, is breathed out by God. Maybe your translation reads something a little bit different. Maybe your translation reads that Scripture is given by the inspiration of God or Scripture is inspired by God. Have you ever played the game telephone before? I remember in elementary school, as a class, we would play telephone. We'd all get in a line where we were connected one to the next one, and the teacher would whisper a message in the ear of the first kid. You know how this works, don't you? The first kid then whispers the message in the ear of the second kid. The second kid whispers it to the third, the third to the fourth, and all the way down the line till the very end. Whenever the kid at the end has the message whispered in his ear, he says it out loud. Then you pivot back to the teacher. What was the original message? She says it out loud. In my experience, I don't know about yours, but in my experience, the two messages were almost never the same. What the kid would say at the end was not the message that the, teacher began, that the teacher said at the beginning. And there's a couple of different reasons for that. Sometimes that happened on accident. You're only able to say the message once. That's the rule. So if you hear it wrong, of course, you're going to pass it on wrong. And I was guilty of that. But I was also guilty of doing it intentionally. You know, I think it's a, just a little bit funny to pass on the wrong message. And so when it gets to the end, it's something that the entire class is able to laugh about. Whenever we look at 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17, how we got the Bible is much like a game of divine telephone. But like we said with telephone, when you get 30 second graders and they're playing the game telephone, it's not really going to work out. The message at the end is not going to be the same message at the beginning. It's not that way in 2 Timothy chapter 3. And this divine game of telephone that we're talking about, it always works out perfectly 
without any flaws, without any mistakes, without any misrepresentations whatsoever. Scripture is breathed out by God. Scripture is inspired by God. It's given by God's inspiration. In that statement, we find that Scripture starts with God. It starts with God's mind. It starts with God's will. What we have in the Bible is exactly what God wants us to have. And we can be confident in that. We don't need anything more than what we find in the Scriptures. We don't need anything less than what we find in the Scriptures. This is the only book that God has given to humanity. And that's contrary to what a lot of religious groups or religious teachers might tell you. This is God's Word. Where does Scripture begin? It begins with God. It begins with God's will. It begins with God's mind. But we also know that the words of the Bible were written down by inspired human authors. In fact, did you know the Bible was written by more than 40 different authors over a period of about 1,500 years, and it was written in about three languages? So it starts with God. It starts with His mind. It starts with His will. But we also know that the words were written down by flawed, imperfect human beings. How did that happen? How do we know that what the inspired writers wrote down is what God wanted them to write down? How did God's word go from his mind to the men who penned the words, the the 66 books that we find in the Bible? How do we know that it's perfect? How do we know that it's flawless? How do we know that it's without any mistakes whatsoever? The answer is what? That's where the Holy Spirit comes in, isn't it? The Holy Spirit is the agent through whom God inspired and breathed out His Word. The Holy Spirit is the middleman in this divine game of telephone standing between God and the inspired human writer. The Holy Spirit ensured that God's Word was communicated and written down flawlessly by flawed, imperfect, infallible human beings. We find that throughout the entirety of the Scriptures. Of course, we don't have the time to look at every single reference. Let me give you just a few examples here. When you go to 2 Samuel chapter 23 and verse number 2, how did David speak? Did he speak on his own will? Did he speak on his own authority? No, the Bible says in verse number 2, David himself admits, the Spirit of the Lord speaks by me His word is on my tongue. That's something that's confirmed by Jesus in the Gospels, the apostles in the book of Acts. Every time they quote what David writes down in the Psalms, for instance, they say that he wrote it by the Spirit. Matthew 22, verses 43 through 45 mentions David in the Spirit calls him Lord, saying, and then quotes from the Psalms in verse 44. Mark is a parallel Context, a parallel account of what we just read in Matthew. In Mark 12, 35-37, David himself in the Holy Spirit declared. Or you could go to Peter in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 1 and verse 16, where he says the Scripture had to be fulfilled which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David. That's how inspiration works. That's how we got this book. It starts with the mind of God, and God, through the Spirit, inspired humans to write down what we find in Scripture. In 1 Peter 1, verses 10 and 11, Peter's talking about the prophets of the Old Testament. 
We know that they made various predictions. They presented various prophecies about the coming Messiah, the grace that he was going to bring, the salvation that he was going to bring. How did the prophets make those predictions? Well, you look at verse number 11, it says the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted. Who did it? Not the prophets. But the Spirit of Christ predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Peter even tells us in verse 11 that the prophets of the Old Testament didn't fully understand what they were writing down. They had questions. They were inquiring. What is this about? Who is this talking about? When is this going to take place? It wasn't the prophet who was speaking, but the Spirit of Christ in them was the one responsible for making the predictions. You go to the very next verse in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 12. About uh, midway, a little bit more than halfway through that verse, notice he looks at his original audience and says, The good news was preached to you how? By people? No, it was by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. In the same passage, you find a defense for both the inspiration of the Old Testament and the inspiration of the New Testament. 1 Peter 1, verses 10 through 12. What about 2 Peter 1 and verse number 21? Where Peter, once again, referring to those Old Testament prophets, says, No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy. If you, if you were to read that in your Bible, it would say Holy Spirit. The word Spirit got cut off there. How did the prophets speak? Not by their own will, but they were carried along by the Holy Spirit of God. It's like if you were to stand at a river that's rushing and you were to take a stick and throw it in that river and you watch that, sti and you watch that stick as it's carried along by the current. These holy men of God were carried along by the Holy Spirit of God when they spoke on His behalf. John 14-16 through 16. Oftentimes called the farewell discourse. Jesus is preparing his disciples for his departure. Jesus says, when I leave, I'm going to send you who? The Holy Spirit. And that's what he's talking about in 13. When the, not if, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Notice the emphasis on truth. You go to the very next chapter, John 17 and 17, and the, Jesus says that the word of God is truth. He's the Spirit of truth. He's going to guide you into all truth. How's the Spirit going to speak? He's not going to speak on His own authority. But whatever He hears from the Father, that's what He's going to declare. And whatever the apostles receive from the Spirit, that's what they are responsible for declaring to the entire world. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 through 13, we find Paul talking to us a little bit about the inspiration of the Scriptures. Notice in verse number 10, he says, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. He's talking about the verse right before that in verse 9 is discussing what no eye has seen nor ear has heard, what God has prepared for those who love Him. Well, how does Paul know about it? He says, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, he says, even the depths of God. In verse 11, we find that no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. And then Paul turns back to himself in 12. We have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. Can you see that divine game of telephone playing out in 1 Corinthians 2, verses 10 through 13? We said it all starts with God. It starts with God's mind. But the Spirit searches the mind of God. He knows even the depths of God. 
And so the Spirit communicates that to the inspired writer or the inspired speaker, which they are then able to communicate to their audience. In Ephesians 3, verses 4 and 5, Paul's discussing the mystery of Christ, which if you read a couple of verses down, he says that the mystery is that the Gentiles are going to be fellow heirs and members of the same body with the Jews in the Lord's church. But how was that mystery of Christ made known? At one time it was hidden, but now it's been made known to His holy apostles and prophets. How? By the Spirit. I think that's why that what we've seen over the last few minutes, I believe that's why the Word of God is identified as the sword of the Spirit a little bit later in Ephesians 6 and verse 17 because we're able to see clearly when we look at the Bible as a whole, the Spirit's involvement in bringing us this book. The, the Spirit's vital role in bringing us what we have in the Scriptures. The Spirit is the agent through whom God inspired His Word and breathed out the Scriptures. The Holy Spirit is the middleman in this divine game of telephone, standing in between God and the inspired human authors. The Spirit ensured that this was done flawlessly. He ensured that imperfect men perfectly recorded the will and Word of God so that we can live by it today, so that we can have it in our hands today. Isn't it amazing to think about the Spirit of God and to think about what He has done for us? When you forget about the Spirit, what did we say? You forget about all of the amazing things He's done in the past and the amazing things that He's capable of doing in the present. If you're going to forget about the Spirit, you might as well forget about the Bible. If you're going to forget about the Spirit and push Him to the side, you might as well take this book and throw it to the side as well. But consider the question as we close, what about us? It's important for us to understand how inspiration works. Don't think for a moment that we can understand every detail about how inspiration works and how God has breathed out His Word. I believe the details of that are beyond our comprehension. We can only understand it based on how God has revealed it. But in this study, we don't just want information. We want transformation. We don't just want to know about the Spirit of God, we want to live our lives by the Spirit of God and the power that He provides. So when we look at 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17, what about us? How can we look at these two verses, not just for information, but for transformation? We're going to go out and live our lives this week in the world. How can we be changed? How can we live out this passage in our daily lives? Let me give you four ideas and then the lesson's going to be yours. Number one, no cherry picking. According to chapter 3 and verse 16, when we handle the pages and the words of Scripture, there should be no cherry picking. Are you familiar with that phrase? And it's not just picking cherries, right? You could be picking any fruit that you want to pick. Whenever you go out to pick fruit, you're only going to pick the ones that look good to you. You're only going to pick the fruit that you want. If you go out to pick fruit and you're wanting to eat it right then and you see a piece of fruit that's not ripe yet, then you're not going to pick it. In the same way, if you go out to pick fruit and there's a piece that's just completely rotten and nasty, you're not going to pick that either. You're only going to get what you want, and what you don't want, you're going to leave. Do we ever treat the Scriptures that way? Well, these verses that I really like, those are the ones that I hold on to and live by, but those verses I don't really like, we'll just scoot them over here to the side. We'll pretend like they're not there. The verses that comfort me, the verses that encourage me, the verses that I put in my bio on social media, 
the verses that speak to me about things that I'm already good at, that are talking to me about my strengths, oh, those are the good ones. And I'll hold on to those. I'll memorize those. I'll quote those. I'll live my life based on those. But then those verses that I don't really like, you know, those verses that make me feel guilty about myself, those verses that call on me to change the decisions that I'm making, the verses that say you, you can't keep doing these things and you can't keep going down that line, the verses that are hard, let's either ignore those or let's come up with an explanation for why those verses don't apply to us in this specific circumstance or in this specific situation. Here's what Paul has to say. He says, no cherry picking. How much of Scripture is inspired by God in 2 Timothy 3 and 16? Do you have your Bible open? What's the first word? All. Not some. Not most. Not a majority. Not the ones we like or the ones that we don't like. He says all Scripture is breathed out by God. The entirety of Scripture has come to us from the mind of God by or through the Holy Spirit. If that's the case, then we're responsible for all of it, not just some of it, not just the parts that we like, not just the parts that comfort us. We are responsible for obeying the entirety of what Scripture teaches. No cherry picking should take place. Number two, what about us? We have to allow the Bible to be useful to us. You continue reading in chapter 3 and verse 16. Paul says that all Scripture is breathed out by God and it is what? It's profitable or it's useful. You're familiar with the fact there are a lot of useless things in our world. You know that. Scripture is not one of those things. Scripture is useful or profitable for what? Paul gives us four words. First, he says it's profitable for doctrine. Older translations say the newer translations are going to use the word teaching. Doctrine and teaching mean the same thing. They can be used interchangeably. If you're going to teach somebody about spiritual things, you do not appeal to your emotions. You don't appeal to your feelings. You certainly don't appeal to your opinions. If you're going to teach somebody about spiritual things, you don't point to our culture. You don't point to religious leaders or church leaders, preachers, elders, whoever it might be. If you're going to teach somebody about spiritual things, then you better go straight to the Word. If we're going to teach somebody about God or what God expects from us, what God desires for our lives, then we need book, chapter, and verse. That's what Paul tells us here. That's what Scripture is profitable for. It's profitable. It's useful for doctrine or teaching. Our doctrine is to be based on the inspired Word of God. Anything that we teach is to be found in the Scriptures. Again, like we said at the beginning, not adding to it, not taking away from it. Number two, Paul says that Scripture is profitable or useful for reproof. I don't know about you. I might be speaking from personal experience here. But I don't know anybody who likes to be told that they're wrong. I don't know anybody who likes to hear what you believe is wrong. What you're doing is wrong. The decisions that you're making, they're wrong. And you shouldn't be doing those things. I don't know anybody who enjoys having their toes stepped on. Do you? But sometimes that's what the Bible does. That's what the Bible's supposed to do. That's what it's useful for. Paul says that Scripture, it's inspired by God, it's breathed out by God, and it's useful for reproof. Sometimes when you read through the pages of God's Word, you're going to come to a message that says, Tyler, well, it's not going to say Tyler to you, it says Tyler to me. Tyler, you're wrong. What you believe about X, Y, or Z, it's wrong. What you're doing, the decisions that you're making, they are wrong. Wrong. 
and you need to change. Whenever we read through Scripture, it steps on our toes and it's supposed to. It's something that we have to be willing to accept. Look at that third word, number three. He says that Scripture is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, and for correction. That balances it out, doesn't it? Scripture doesn't just reprove us, it corrects us. Scripture doesn't just say you're wrong, it tells you how to be right. Scripture doesn't just look at us to rebuke us. It corrects us so that we can look more like Jesus. So that we can better live out the will of God in our lives. And then the fourth idea is that it's profitable for instruction or for training in righteousness. Do you want to be a righteous person? You can answer that question yes or no in your mind. Do you want to live a righteous life? Do you want to do things that are right as opposed to doing things that are wrong? You need to spend time in the scriptures. Because that is the place where we are trained or instructed on how to share in the righteousness of Jesus and to reflect that in our lives on a daily basis. To put it simply, to put it in summary, we have to allow the Bible to be useful to us. The Bible will never be useful to you if it remains on the shelf. The Bible will never be useful to you if it remains closed. The Bible will never be useful to you if you allow it to collect dust. Allow the Bible to be useful in your life. Allow it to teach you. Allow it to reprove you as painful as that is sometimes. Allow it to correct you and to instruct you on how to share in the righteousness of our God. Number three, allow the Bible to complete you. In chapter 3 and verse 17, all Scripture is breathed out by God and it's profitable, it's useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training or instruction in righteousness that the man of God or that the person of God... So that word man is not talking about man like the gender, but it's talking about mankind. So we could say that the person of God might be complete. Does anybody in here like to put together puzzles? I did a simple Google search on this, and you might want to fact check me on this, but the biggest puzzle that's ever been put together was, I believe, about 40,000 pieces. Even if you like puzzles, I don't think you're signing up for that one. I'm not signing up for that one. I struggle with puzzles that have like 100 or 150 pieces, don't have enough patience to put them together. A puzzle will only be complete when? When every single piece is in its rightful place. When it's all connected together and it looks like the picture on the box. If somehow you find out a way to put all the pieces of the puzzle together, but it doesn't look like the picture on the box, it's not complete. It's only complete whenever it mirrors the picture that you find on the front of its box. Would you think it's fair to say that our lives are like puzzles sometimes? We have all of these different pieces. We have 40,000 different things going on at once. And we're trying to fit it all together in just one life. Paul says you'll never be complete until the Bible becomes the picture on the puzzle box. You can take all the pieces and put them together, but until they mirror what we find in the pages of this book, you're going to be missing something. Do you feel like you're missing something this morning? You feel incomplete. Are you searching for something? Can I encourage you to think that it's right here in the pages of God's Word? When my life is disconnected from the Scriptures, I'm going to be incomplete. I'm going to feel incomplete. There's going to be something missing. But whenever my life is connected to the Scriptures, only then will my life be complete and it will come in a 360 degree circle. And then number four, allow the Bible to equip you. 
in verse 17 that the person of God might be complete and equipped, thoroughly equipped, some translations say, for every good work. We send our kids to school to equip them for the next stage of life. Workers go to training in order to equip themselves to do their job better, especially whenever circumstances change or when new things are introduced. In the same way, the Bible is meant to equip us, to equip us thoroughly and completely for every good work. You're looking at the words on this page. The words on this page are not meant to stay on this page. The words on this page are supposed to be in my heart. They're supposed to be in my life. They're supposed to be seen in every decision that I make. The Bible is not just meant to be read or studied. We, we do that a lot whenever we come together in assemblies like this one and we're supposed to. That's the pattern of the New Testament. And in verses like Acts 20 and verse number 7 where Paul preached to them until midnight. I promise I'm not going to go till midnight. But we study the Word of God together. The, the Word of God is not just meant to be studied. The Word of God is meant to be lived. It equips us to do good things. This week, I guarantee you, you're going to have opportunities to serve people. This week, you're going to have opportunities to share the gospel with those who are lost. You're going to have opportunities, like Paul talks about in Galatians 6 and verse 10, to do good to all, especially to those of the household of faith. If your life is not connected with Scripture, you're not going to be prepared or equipped to take hold of those opportunities. You're not going to be able to walk through those open doors. And instead of the doors being opened, they will one day be closed. And so allow the Bible to equip you. Allow the Bible to prepare you to go out and make a difference in the world. You're going to see this statement a lot. I hope that it's something we can remember. When we forget the Holy Spirit, we forget all the amazing things that He's done in the past, and we forget about what He's capable of doing in the present. Today, we're talking about inspiration. When we forget about the Holy Spirit, we forget about the inspiration of the Scriptures. Like we said, if you throw the Holy Spirit to the side, take this book and throw it over there with Him. But whenever we understand this, whenever we're informed on how inspiration works, we're able to move forward to seek transformation. To be changed by the Spirit-inspired words that we have in this book. How can this make a difference in my life and your life this week? No cherry picking. This is not a pick and choose. Allow the Bible to be useful to you. Allow the Bible to complete you. And allow the Bible to equip you for every good work. If we can help you to reach any of those things this morning, we'd love to do that. We'd love to encourage you. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to study with you. Whatever the need might be, here's a, a time to make that need known. As together we stand and sing. is for you and me. Let us haste, oh haste, to its brink. Tis the fountain of love from the source above, and he bids us all freely drink. Will you come to Oh, hear the welcome call, tis a 
the wall. 